we have been talking about uh, helping the willing find the way. We've been using some of the conversion stories that are in Acts. We're not going to hit all of them, uh, and we're going to continue to do some of that today. And uh, you may have noticed the uh, title of the sermon there on your sheet in the bulletin, to keep on speaking. We're, we're going to talk about that and talk about Paul just a little bit today. Did anybody happen to check the weather this morning? Has anybody thought that perhaps maybe the weather people around here just simply don't know what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. Warm enough for suntan lotion one day and now they're talking about snow tomorrow. Just one of those things. Reminds me of a story of a a man who was out shoveling his driveway when he was approached by two boys who had shovels with them and they go up to the man and they say, hey, mister, we'll shovel your driveway for you for 10 bucks. And the man looks at him and says, don't you see I am already doing that? And the boys looked at him and said, oh, yes. But we get most of our business from people who have gone about halfway down their driveway and are discouraged to do the rest. Oh, I can tell some of y'all have been there. Yeah. Sometimes in the midst of doing something good, something necessary, discouragement or fatigue can get the best of us. And I'm glad that Paul never quit, although I bet he thought about it, and probably more than once, especially on days that, like the days that are described in Acts 18, which is where we're going to be today. If you've got your your Bible and you want to flip over there, and uh, we're going to be in Acts 18, Um, you, you I'm not, I'm not going to read every bit of it, but some of the things before, some of the things after what I read are, are, are kind of uh, uh, relevant. Um, if you look at what Luke is saying here in, Mac, uh, in, in, in Acts 18 about Paul being in Corinth, um, Luke actually talks more about people who are resistant to the gospel to Paul's good news, then they talk about those who accepted the message and and turned towards Christ. Yet, if you read between the lines, there are some positive principles that we're going to be able to glean from this story. Acts 18, starting at verse 1, uh, there with that first verse, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, those of you who have been a part of the study we're doing on uh, Wednesday in John, we have a section that starts off after this or therefore or wherefore. What's the question? What happened before, right? What's the wherefore, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? What is going on? Well, If you look back at 17, and we're not going to read it today, be a wonderful place to read, Paul has just left Athens and has moved over to Corinth, which is about 
50 miles due, uh, due east of Athens. He has just done his famous sermon at the Areopagus, a big public appeal in front of a large audience. And if you read that, you see that in Athens, a philosophical approach was necessary. And yet here in Corinth, about 50, 55 miles away, he changes his strategy because in Corinth, what's needed is a little more personal touch. Let's keep reading. After this, Paul left Athens and went on to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered the Jews to leave Rome. That's actually a wonderful statement because it gives us a time frame. This is about A.D. 50 when, when that happened. Oh, by the way, does anybody know why Claudius threw the Jews out of Rome? Because they kept arguing about this Crestus guy. And Rome had already heard about Jesus Christ. Do you get it? They're already got there. It's a wonderful statement. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And this is interesting. Then Paul left the synagogue and went where? Next door. Paul went to the, left the synagogue, went next door to the house of uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. We know we talked about Lydia, you know, just a week ago. She was... A worshiper of God, it's an indication that Gentile, but understood the God of the Bible to be the true God, yes, but had not heard of Christ yet. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. That's the memory verse. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. You ever feel like you're alone? I do. 
does it help to know that you're not alone? That on this day, there are millions of God-fearing Christians that are gathering to worship and to pray for the world and for our country. And I bet you there's several hundred thousand in this state, if not more than a million just in this state, that are praying for God to move among us. Does it help when you're discouraged to realize you're not alone? Yes or yes? Yes. Yes. Wonderful thing to be reminded of. So Paul stayed in the city a long time, a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Now, if you read on, you read into the next story, which um, we're we're probably not going to cover, but you'll see that that opposition is not over. It's still going on. Which brings up one principle that's a very difficult principle for us. And it's that idea that some of God's greatest work actually happens in the midst of persecution. We don't like to admit that. We, we like the days when everything's great and everything's glorious and everything is walking along and God is blessing us and we see his hand of mercy upon us. We don't like to think about the days when the days are hard. And people in general are opposed to Christ. But it's interesting. That's sometimes when God is doing his greatest work. Everywhere Paul went, he met opposition from people who should have known better and from the Gentiles. But you think about it. You think about what's happening. Well, first off, you got Crispus, right? Crispus is the leader of the synagogue. The Jews are in turmoil, but somehow he gets the message. What about the Philippian jailer? What about the thief on the cross? What about the Christian persecution that's going on in India right Now, today, in Indonesia, China, Cambodia, North Korea, Laos, I think there's a spiritual component to what's happening in Ukraine, and even here in America. Back in 2013, in a minister's group that I was a part of in in Virginia, we came across this book right here, T4T, A Discipleship Revolution, T4T. Um, T4T, what that means is training for trainers. And uh, this young couple here, Ying Kai and his wife, Grace, originally from, from Thailand, I mean, excuse me, from Taiwan. Um, Wonderful, God-fearing couple who just talked about Jesus. And they realized that what discipleship is, that, that 
taking somebody from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity in such a way they can repeat that process with someone else? That biblical discipleship really is training trainers to train more trainers. And they took that concept and they're in Southeast Asia behind the communist curtain there. In 10 years of reaching out and teaching somebody something about Christ so they can teach somebody else something about Christ so they can teach somebody else something about Christ. They are personally responsible in that 10-year block for over 1,760,000 baptisms in communist Southeast Asia. Planting over 560,000 churches. Now understand, it's not like where you're sitting right here in this building. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about groups of people that came together to support each other because of that Crestus guy. And all of them, when they learn something new, we're taking it and telling it to somebody else. It was in a sense you might think of kind of like a house church movement. But these churches were meeting in various places. Almost 1.8 million baptisms in a 10-year period. 560,000 churches. Because a trainer was willing to train another trainer who was willing to train another trainer. You want to learn something about that discipleship model? I don't mind going over that with you at some point. In fact, if you wanted to just take your card here and write T for T on it, we got enough people, we'll put together a class be more than happy to do that. Now, we'd have to adjust it a little bit for America, but the principles are there. Training for trainers is what Paul did. You may remember somebody by the name of Timothy, somebody else by the name of Titus. They were significant in the work. And they trained other people. Ying Kai makes this statement in this book. In chapter 4. I mean there's a whole bunch of stuff. But this hit me this week. And I wanted to share this particular statement. He says. Obedience is the mark of true discipleship. Obedient disciples. Are not those who give verbal assent only. But actually obey what the Father commands. Ideally, we want people who say yes and people who do yes. Is there a difference between saying yes and doing yes? 
Bottom line, he says, we are looking for people who do yes. What a simple, powerful way to describe true discipleship. Paul is an example of doing yes. You see, friends, you can be a tent maker and a preacher too. And I know that you're not necessarily cut out to be here. And it took me a while to think that I might be cut out to be right here. But you can be a tent maker and a preacher. You see there in in verse 3, Paul says, uh, it, it says that, you know, he, he, he worked and supported himself. And then when, sorry about that. Then when uh, the rest of the group was able to catch up, what did they do? They went to work so that Paul could spend all of his time and Paul didn't have to work for something to eat. They were supporting Paul directly, right? I tell you, it's not unusual for Jewish teachers, for Jewish rabbis to actually have a vocation other than, than, than teaching the word of God, even today. In fact, at some point I may tell you about a young man that uh, I had the blessing to be uh, blessed by him because he was a doctor at UVA and uh, helped me with my sinuses and all of that stuff. And that particular doctor um, was a rabbi, which made for some really interesting conversations when we would get together and I would be in his chair and, and he would be there helping me. I may tell you some of those at some point. Peter, do you remember what Peter was? Peter was a fisherman, but he was also what? He's also a tanner, Yes. And so we see people who are in the workaday world who are making a huge difference for Christ. Now, God has gifted you differently from each other, okay? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual giftedness, Holy Spirit, all that stuff. Each of us are gifted differently. Some, some may be good teachers, Some people may work with their hands really well, factory workers, mechanics. Some of you are good counselors, you're you're consultants. Some of you have wonderful mathematic minds, You're, you're engineers. Some of you have the greatest, most blessed job of being homemakers, of training up the next generation. And I got to tell you something in my never-to-be-humble opinion, okay? This is gospel according to Eric. You're not going to find it anywhere in Scripture. I'm telling you right now, this is, this is me, okay? I've come to the conclusion that I don't think God cares a whole lot about what you do for a living as long as he has a part of it. You following me? Okay, 
For some of y'all, the worst thing you could ever do is be asked to get up and either speak or pray in church. I know who you are, and after this sermon, I'll find you. (laughs) No, no, I understand that. Not everybody's cut out for it. But friends, for all of us, the worst thing we could do is not speak about Christ at all. All of us are called to proclaim the good news and to share it as we go. There was this guy I read about a few years back. His name is Ray. Uh, Grew up in the Chicago area. He's just a a simple man, not well-educated, somebody you might think of as being more or less functionally illiterate, Uh, worked as a janitor, And worked with his hands a lot, was, was good at doing things and fixing things. After listening to a preacher talk about sharing the word of God and different things, Ray was, was touched in his heart and was trying to figure out something that he could do. And he wanted to do something significant for the Lord, but, but he couldn't really figure out what that was. So he went to the preacher and he, and he told the preacher, he said, you know, I, I feel this need. I feel like I, I need to be doing something, but I don't know what to do. And the preacher looked at him and said, well, what is, it, what is it you like to do? And Ray said, I like to skate. And the preacher said, well, do that. So Ray went down to the local skating rink and one day a week he would rent out the skating rink for several hours and he would also provide a hot dog and a bag of chips and a drink for any of the kids in the area who wanted to come. They could come skate for free and during the break as they were sitting around eating, you know what Ray did? He told them the Bible stories his mother used to tell him. Reading that from the preacher who worked with Ray, he concluded that by saying, Ray's skating night became the most successful outreach of that congregation's history. And it's just a question, Christian, willing to do yes. Friend, God doesn't care how we make a living. He cares whether or not we are living for his glory you have a sphere of influence and it's not the same as mine or anyone else's. And if you look for divine appointments, they might come in the form of a jailer or of Lydia or some of the others we've talked about over the last couple weeks. Never underestimate 
the influence of the Holy Spirit. We see that influence here with Paul. You know, it says he reasoned with them in the synagogue. And by the way, there's a hidden principle here. I didn't write it down for your sheet. But resistance doesn't always mean rejection. There are times when resistance means I don't know enough yet. I haven't really understood what you're saying yet. But resistance doesn't always mean rejection. It may just be that that resistance is the Holy Spirit at work. Because, I mean, right here, it's, you know, it, it talks about the fact that the Jews got all riled, so Paul left the synagogue, and who went with them? Crispus. <laughs> who naturally would have been of the group that would have been the most resistant to what Paul was trying to say. But it's fair to say that Crispus was a follower of God who was open to the truth when he saw the truth was in a different direction than where he was going. He was humble enough to adjust to that truth. And you and I, we don't know what the Spirit is doing. We don't know who he may call, who he may put in our path and whose eternity can be changed if we are just willing to reach out and reason with them. Crispus shows us something else here. The right thinking leads to the right response. Crispus did not respond emotionally, but with reason, with thinking, with the things Paul was presenting. In fact, the emotional response in this case was a response of resistance, even to the point of persecution. And again, if you read on down, you'll see that uh, that keeps going on, and Paul actually gets dragged before the proconsul Gallio. By now, as we have come through when we've been in this study in Acts for the last five weeks, you ought to see that there's a pattern at foot in Acts where people come to a belief and then they are baptized. We see this pattern over and over again. In fact, 10 of the 13 specified conversion accounts which are which are in scripture where a specific person or a specific people group are mentioned to coming into faith are in Acts. And you know what happens in each one of those cases where a specific person or people group, such as Lydia and her household, Cornelius and his household, do you know what it says? They believed and were baptized. They believed and came to faith. And when they came to faith, they took action. John's disciples, Acts 19.5, they had heard some about. We're going we're gonna to take a look at that probably next week. Um, but we see that that clarity that when people come to clarity, they're willing to do whatever it is that God has asked them to do. 
Baptism is often the very first action. And Ying Kai has proved that. That when trainers are training other trainers to train other trainers, that that happens and the kingdom grows. Boldness to proclaim the good news also brings, brings encouragement, or you can write refreshment. That word came to mind. Brings encouragement, refreshment from the Spirit. It's interesting when you stop to think about it. We, we talk about the Great Commission. You, you already have that memorized, right? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Do, do you remember what it says at the end of that? It says, you know, uh, go and teach, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then what? And then keep teaching, right? And then what's the last statement that's there? And hey... Or, or the way it gets translated, and lo, hey, what's going to happen? I'm going to be right there with you. Are there times when we get discouraged and we think we're alone and it helps to realize we're not? It's part of the reason why we gather. It helps for us to know that there are Christians in this state that are gathering in like mind and in like voice, praying to the Lord, that there are Christians all over this nation who are in like mind and in like voice and are praying to the Lord that are all around the world that are in like mind and in like place and in like voice that have through time come through, that you have had saints who have gone before you. Isn't it wonderful to feel that? And isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus says if you are willing to train trainers hey I will be with you I draw real encouragement from that friends he has given us his spirit A lot of people want to feel that Holy Spirit. They want to know that it is there. And I want to tell you, if you really want a confirmation from the Spirit, I can tell you when it comes. It comes when you realize that God has used you in order to change somebody else's eternity. That's a wonderful wonderful feeling and it's way deeper than just emotion or a song or a message friends when we are obedient to God's will he will confirm his presence with us He will confirm his truth to us and in us. God uses a positive affirmation to encourage us to stay in the game, even in the midst of persecution. 
one thing the Spirit is definitely teaching us here in this passage is that some will believe, some will not. Don't be discouraged. You are not responsible for somebody else's relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're only responsible to tell them what you know and to help them understand. At some point, we have to step out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do do their job, yes? Not everybody is going to believe in Christ. Uh, You know, Paul says here he shook his clothes. That's an old thing. Uh, You see that all the way back to Nehemiah. It's an old custom. You know, it's like, you know, I'm done with this. You know, I'm not even going to take the dust from you. Um, Jesus didn't convince everybody. Paul didn't convince everybody. You're not going to convince everybody. Paul's boldness led him to prison and into chains. And Jesus' boldness led him to a Roman cross. Both of those two, both of their boldness has given all of us the hope of heaven. Their boldness has given us that forgiveness that can only come from the blood of Christ. Their boldness has given us a sense of purpose in this life. And it's given us the ability to serve a God who loves you and the assurance that this world and what it holds is not our home. Just remember when you're talking to people, conviction is not our responsibility. There will be times when people are closed and you move on. Conviction's not our responsibility, but communicating the truths of our Lord, that is our responsibility. Saintly siblings, let's allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in each of us by us doing our part. Father God, we thank you so much as we look at the life of Paul. We see someone who was totally sold out to you, totally on fire, even to the point of wanting to to go after those who were, in his eyes, doing things that were wrong until he understood that he was wrong. And we thank you, Father, for Christ meeting him on that way to Damascus. And we thank you, Father, for Paul's example after that of using every opportunity, every divine appointment that you put in his path to speak the name of Jesus and to encourage others in the fight.
And we thank you, Father, that even in the midst of persecution, past persecution to come, that resistance to your will and your word cannot separate us from the love that you expressed through Christ Jesus on the cross. And we thank you, Father, for the hope of heaven that is ours because we know he lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.